You can get toasters, new blankets, specialty dog food, and a range of other household goods through the U.S. mail from companies such as Amazon. But if you want lumber, concrete, a new dishwasher, or any of the household items found in local stores, it's most likely entering the state and coming to your community through the Port of Alaska, where the vast majority of all incoming Alaska supplies are received. The port is undertaking a massive modernization project. We'll discuss what it will mean for the future of shipping to Alaska today on Talk of Alaska. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by the law firm of Landy Bennett Blumstein, attorneys who know the people, businesses, tribes, and communities of Alaska. Landy Bennett Blumstein, online at lbblawyers.com. Invasive plants and animals threaten Alaska's waters and can spread to new locations by hitching a ride. Anyone can help stop aquatic hitchhikers by remembering to clean boots, boats, and trailer to remove plants, animals, and mud. Drain bilge, ballast, and buckets before leaving the area, and dry equipment before using it in a new body of water. Learn more at stopaquatichitchhikers.org. This message sponsored by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. The views expressed on this program are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Hello, it's Talk of Alaska. I'm Lori Townsend. Do you ever consider how supplies get here from the faraway lower 48 when you're shopping for milk, chicken feed, or new shoes? There is only one highway, and that runs through Canada, that's available to enter our state. If an earthquake tears it up, will we run out of bacon? No, because nearly 90% of all goods that enter Alaska come through the port of Alaska, located in Anchorage. It wasn't always this way, and we'll learn more about the history of port shipments to Alaska as we discuss the plan for an enormous, nearly $2 billion rebuild of the port. Here to help us understand what the scope of the project will be, why it's expensive, and what it will mean for Alaskans in the future is Port of Alaska Director Steve Rebuffo. Rebuffo, sorry about that, Steve. No, that's okay. If we Steve Rebuffo, yes. Later in the program, we'll be joined by Anchorage Assembly Chair Christopher Constant. We invited Mayor Dave Bronson to join us today, but he declined. And you can also join our conversation. Do you have questions about why the modernization is needed? Do you think a more modern port will help lower expenses for shipping goods here or add to it? You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422, 550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Steve Rebuffo is the port director. Hi, Steve. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Lori. So let's get a brief history of how the port, the main port, came to be in Anchorage. About 70 years ago, the main Alaska port was in Seward. But Anchorage leaders sort of schemed up this plan to build a port in Anchorage. Tell us about that and and what led up to 1961. Sure. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's a folk tale I've been told or or a story I've been told. So I'm gonna you know, since I haven't been born and raised here, I'm going to go ahead and, and paraphrase what I've heard. But you have it pretty much correct. Uh, for the longest time, the main port of entry for everything coming into the state was in Seward. It's why, you know, mile one of the Seward Highway is there. 
You know, mile one of the Alaska Railroad is there. Mile one of the Iditarod Trail is there in Seward. So that was the main port of entry uh, all the way up until the 1964 earthquake. Mm -hmm. uh, as a precursor to that, folks up at Anchorage, because this is where the population center was, were, were looking for a way to save some time on deliveries uh, because just like everybody else in the state who had to wait for all that freight to get loaded on trains and get loaded on trucks and driven up the highway or brought up the rail, they wanted things a little faster for the folks that were living here. So they built a, a small modest port uh, on Kinnick Arm and uh, in the hopes of enticing some of that uh, some of that cargo to come directly up to Anchorage as opposed to uh, having to wait your turn along with everybody else. And uh, cut the ribbon in September 1961 and began to put those those plans in place um, and didn't have anything quite nailed down yet. Uh, but then along came the 1964 <clears throat> Good Friday earthquake. Mm. And uh, right after that, there was no Seward right. and there was no Whittier and there was no Valdez and there was no place for those container ships to go. But there was a dock way up at the top of Cook Inlet in Anchorage that really suffered no damage at all. And, uh, and they started to come up here. And uh, it was Sealand who was the cargo, you know, the carrier that uh, started the deliveries. And Sealand became Horizon Lines, and Horizon Lines was bought by Matson. And uh, so we have a 60-plus year relationship with the good folks uh, from Matson. Some of the same pl uh, faces that were there 16 years ago when I started at the port are still there now and have worked for all those companies uh, along the way. And in the 70s, the Alaska market got big enough to add another carrier. Mm. So Tote Maritime of Alaska was added. And, uh, and again, because there was really no place else to go for other stuff, everything began to come up here. The dry bulk cement business took off. Uh, break bulk in support of the, uh, the North Slope came, you know, came in here. Big construction supplies and equipment began to come across the docks in Anchorage. And we became a petroleum center, too, for refined petroleum products, not crude oil but refined petroleum products. So we've got a business set up now. We're, we're a little bit more than half of what comes across the dock is petroleum product. The other half is uh, containerized cargo and uh, break bulk and, and dry bulk. And uh, every now and then we'll sneak a cruise ship in. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about the prospect of cruise uh, later on in the program. But how long did it take to realize that Seward would not be rebuilt to once again be the main port? Was the Anchorage port having much success before 1964? No, no, but uh, but there, but again, it was one of those. There's no place else to go, mm -hmm. but there is a viable place to go. You know, and when you look at the uh, when you look at the geography, and you look at what it takes to make uh, to make a port work, because you know, as as we kind of say in the business, nobody ships anything to a port. You ship it to an end user. A port is simply a node in the transportation sure. hub. There are several very important nodes right here in Anchorage. There's the port itself, because we are connected by by road to about seventy five percent of the state population. And about 54% of the state population lives within an hour drive along that road system. We are less than three quarters of a mile from the main freight yards of the Alaska Railroad, which is also a major node in the transportation system where quite a bit of the cargo that crosses our dock makes its way to the railroad for delivery by rail, north and south. 
and you know, five miles to seven miles from Ted Stevens International Airport. Uh, not only for you know the international side of things, but the, all the freight forwarders who take the big containers full of cargo and break them down and palletize them and put them on the small airplanes for what's flown to the Bush community mm -hmm. are, again, less than five or seven miles away. So it seemed to be a natural place for everything to, for the transportation industry to establish itself in support of the, uh, in support of the entire state. And here we are today. How does the port, before we start talking about the, the modernization project, how does the port pay for itself? You don't get local tax income, correct? No, no, we don't. And, and to be honest with you, we're pretty darn proud of that. You know, we, no tax dollars come down to run the port. We are one of the municipalities, uh, what we call enterprise and utility departments. So we're an enterprise fund. Uh, we are also what's called a non-regulated fund because we don't have any federal level rules that we have to comply with. Uh, Alaska Water Wastewater Utility, for example, you know, they have you know, R RCA and, uh, and those kinds of organizations that they have to uh, comply with the rules that are established. There's nothing like that for ports. You know, we can establish our own rate structure, and as long as you know, it is viewed by the Federal Maritime Commission as fair and reasonable to everyone, uh, they don't pick nits with what it is you're doing. So as an enterprise fund, uh, we are also the landlord of the port, which means we don't conduct the commerce. We lease property to those entities that wish to establish a presence at the port and be the conductors of commerce. So Matson, Tote, the petroleum companies all lease real estate from the municipality. We manage all that for them down there at the port. And we uh, charge them for the use of the real estate and we charge them a fee to use the docks uh, so that we can keep the docks maintained. And that's in two pieces. There's a dockage piece, which is, you know, if you're gonna be at the dock for X, X amount of time and your vessel is this large, this is what your rate is. And there's a table in our tariff that sure. you go to and figure that out. And it's based on a 24 hour day. Uh, and then we have what's called wharfage, which is uh, dollars or cents on a ton, linear foot, pound, barrel, depending upon what the commodity is and what the unit of measure is. All that's established in the tariff, and you pay that for whatever you're bringing across the dock, whether you're you know, bringing it in or shipping it out. So, and that's how we make our that's how we make our revenue. So you get real estate rental. You have a fee for the size of the vessel that's taking up dock space. And then uh, a, a fee for whatever the goods are that are coming off. The That's vessel. correct. If you're just joining us, this is Talk of Alaska. And today we're discussing the Port of Alaska and the modernization project underway with Steve Rebuffo, who is the port director. And in just a bit, we'll be joined by Christopher Constant, who is the chair of the Anchorage Assembly. You can join our conversation if you have questions or comments or you're wondering about the new uh, modernization project and what that will involve. You can call us statewide at 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 522. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. Is there any other port uh, configuration comparable in the world to Anchorage when it comes to the extreme tide exchanges that we have here 
the seismic activity that um, is pretty healthy in the area. Yes, and, it is. And the other the ways that this port is set up, I know that that there's concerns about silt filling in channels, and so there's yeah. a lot of dredging that has to go on. How do we compare to other places? Now, it, it's a uh, it's an interesting question, and the research that we have done that tends to lead us to believe that all of those challenges that we face here, other ports and other places may have one or two of those, but nobody's got the full house that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nobody's got a, a, a total of tides that swing 30 to 35 feet four times a day, an endangered species that swims right off the dock. You know, very short construction seasons mm-hmm. like we experience here. Yeah. And, yeah, what a uh, challenge. And being way out here at the end of the supply chain, you know, which adds cost. And we see that on the shelves, even if nothing else exciting is going on. Uh, it takes so long and it takes such a long distance for things to get here that prices tend to be higher than it would be in other places. Now, we have all of that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and the uh, and the, and the siltation is is a challenge here too for just keeping open. It doesn't really have an effect on uh, a major effect on the cost of operating the port because we're fortunate enough to have uh, all of the dredging that has to get done here at full federal expense. Mm. Uh, so that's not a big you know that's not a big cost factor, but. It's a it's it's a time and uh, scheduling challenge when it comes to to doing construction, because you've got to balance any construction that's going on in the water with day to day operations. You know, there's no place to tell you know Matson and Tote and the other companies to come up here to go over there for five years. Let us build this thing, and then we'll have you come back. There, there's no there's no place to do yeah, that. So yeah. part of the trick is business. yeah. So part of the trick is how do you stay open for business or leave enough of the old open for business while you're building the new, and keep the interference to a minimum, so that we can pull this thing off yeah. in a reasonable amount of time. Big project. And so let's talk about some of the past work that maybe you don't even want to think about, but it was a failure and yeah. uh, involved wrapping pilings. The rotting pilings with sheet metal resulted in a lawsuit for hundreds of millions mm-hmm. of dollars against the Maritime Administration. Is it MARAD? Is that how Yeah, MARAD is the, is the pronounceable acronym for the Maritime okay. Administration. Yeah. And so... They're they're appealing this award. They they had to they pay are. up, but they're appealing that award. When will that be back in court? And and are you worried that that substantial chunk of money could get clawed back? I'm I'm not uh, I'm not concerned that it's all going to get clawed back. Uh, I you know when when the judge in the original lawsuit made the award, it was very clear. In, in the way he worded the award. And he gave us every penny we asked for. So that should have been our first clue, that we had a heck of a case mm-hmm. and, uh, and made it well. So, uh, so the fact that he awarded us every dime that we asked for was a, was a very good thing. Uh, the appeal process, fortunately, as I understand it in this court, in this particular court, which is the Court of Federal Claims, uh, you only get one bite at the apple on mm-hmm. an appeal. So, uh, and that was taken. So we are now waiting for the clock to run out on this one appeal opportunity that Department of Justice had on behalf of the uh, on behalf of the Maritime Administration. Uh, every everything that has that has been needed to be done 
uh, for uh, you know the, the resubmission of arguments and counter arguments and all that. All that's behind us now. What we're waiting for now is the court to schedule oral arguments. Yeah. And I believe it's a three-judge panel. And, uh, and it's oral arguments, lawyers only, no witnesses, uh, you know, all of that's in the past. Uh, and when they schedule that, that's, again, a couple of days, and it's done. Then everything is in the hands of the court to make the decision. Uh, we are hoping that they schedule those all oral arguments before the end of this year. Uh, and then we're figuring if things can stay on a reasonable schedule after that uh, spring Sometime in the spring of 2024, we should have a final ruling from the court, and all this will be behind us. Okay. Yeah, and I, you know, I, like I said, I, we had a heck of a case, and uh, it's worth, uh, you know, it's going to be worth it when we're done. And I, I'm, a, I'm pretty confident we're going to come away with, if not all of it, a, a large majority of what it is we asked for. Through the process of that failed design effort, um, there was a lot of things were learned uh, about how steel is affected by the scrubbing action of the tides mm. and bacteria. And mm. it's problematic, apparently, to use steel here for port work. How? Talk about the work that had to be replaced that was the sleeves and the idea of adding more ground, um, filling in, backfilling in some area, you're, you're redesigning now or, or modernizing now, mm -hmm. you'll upgrade to modern design and resiliency standards, mm -hmm. also catching up with the upgrades in the shipping industry. Does that mean capacity for larger vessels? It will. Uh, it'll mean we'll be able to service vessels that are larger than the ones that are coming up here now. We are, you know, given the size of the facility that we, that we have now and the size of the, particularly the ship to shore gantry cranes that we have on the dock, it's uh, to handle anything any larger than what the current port users can bring to us is going to be, is going to be at a higher cost because ship to shore cranes get their, uh, you know, you, you get the cape, the, uh, efficiency out of them based on their height and the reach of the booms. And these are limited to the size of the vessels that the, the current users can bring up here. Anything larger than that that comes up, you, know, you basically have to pull away from the dock, turn the thing around and come back. Uh, that's time, that's money, that's cost. Uh, so uh, we're not, we're not going to see anything any bigger than what it is we have now. Uh, we've also put the users in an interesting situation because the longer it takes us to replace those cranes, the longer they have to maintain these very old vessels and they would like to get rid of them. And if what they can bring up here is more efficient than what they have now, then there's lots more opportunity for passing those savings on to, to those of us that go grocery shopping up here as well. So we're, you know, we're sort of, you know, modernization is not the same as expansion. Mm -hmm. You know, and we say that all the time too. We're not making the port any bigger than it already is. In fact, we're making it a little bit smaller mm -hmm. because it's really all we can make a business case for, but it is sufficient to the size of what is needed to support this market up here. But modernization is necessary, so that gives us the flexibility to, uh, to do business with anyone that wants to come here. I mean, we have some, some very good port users now. 
and we uh, and we have very good working and business relationships with them, but there's no guarantee they'll be around forever. And uh, so you've got to be flexible enough and have a, have a facility uh, flexible enough to support anybody that comes here. All right. Thank you, Steve, for helping us kind of set the tone here and the stage for this discussion about the modernization project that's underway at the Port of Alaska here in Anchorage. Joining us now on the phone is Christopher Constant. Christopher is the current Assembly Anchorage Assembly Chair. Hello. Well, hello. Good morning. Hello. Thanks so much for joining us. How many years have you served on the Assembly? I was trying to look that up this morning and couldn't find it. Uh, about six and a half. Okay. So the the port has had its share of controversy related to design problems and the resulting lawsuit that we referenced against the Federal Maritime Administration for more than $350 million, $367 million. Now there's a nearly $2 billion plan for modernization. Are you in full support of the current plan? Yes. So the current plan has been hard worked, hard fought for, has lots of very intense conversations over many months and a few years. And where we are now is we're pretty close to having final decisions on the whole project. But for sure, we have finalized the decision-making process through the petroleum and cement terminal, which is actually built already. And Terminal 1, which we've all agreed upon, is going to be um, designed in a way that um, everybody is united behind. So there are still some questions on the final design for Terminal 2. But uh, with that said, everybody agrees on the path forward, at least everybody who's been around the table, to get to that final, final decision on the last pieces. And So it's actually quite exciting to be at this point where some people probably didn't think we'd ever get here. And for both of you, what is the current estimate for the entire project's cost, and how? what will the split be between state and federal dollars? Steve? Well, I think for my part, I can't really speak to the final numbers because I think we're at 65% design or going towards 65% design, and those details get worked out in that part of the process. Also, you missed a funding stream that we have to reckon with, and that's the local tariffs. So you have local tariff, state funding, and federal funding. And, you know, one of the things that was most amazing in the last few weeks was when uh, we finalized our funding package for the petroleum and cement terminal, which we just authorized the tariff increase for, which was $19 million. And the reality of that project was it was a 200 I think $220 million project or $200 million project. And so what that means is that we were on the hook for 10%, which means the port did an exceptional job at fighting for competitive and um, and also directly allocated funding. And so I think I'll let Steve answer the rest. Sure. Uh, it's there. There is no handshake agreement between the municipality and the state with respect to how much the state will be contributing to this, nor has there been anything said specifically about a number. So we will do what we do every year as a municipality and as a port, is we will continue to request from Juno consideration for what we think is a fair and reasonable amount for them to contribute to the cost of this. And, uh, and we will continue to go after federal grants 
uh, as many as there are in support of this kind of an operation as often as we're as we're capable of going out and applying for them. Um, but then, you know, as uh, as as Chris said, you know, at the end of the day, for a program that could cost as much as one point eight billion dollars, there's just flat not that much free money out there to be had. Uh, so some amount of what has to be uh, has to has to be received in order to cover the cost of completing this is going to have to be uh, handled through a surcharge that the assembly was wise enough to have included in our tariff so that we can cover the debt service for those amounts we have to bond for in order to finish the program. U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg was here and toured the port earlier uh, in this month. He noted that the $68 million awarded last year through the Port Infrastructure Development Program was the largest single award in the country. Did the secretary signal that more federal funds are going to be directed to this project? Well... Chris, you want to go first since you were there? Sure, Chris, please. Yeah, I was definitely there. I, I think that he was quite impressed at a few things. He was impressed at the completed project, the petroleum and cement terminal, and how we funded it. He was impressed when he finally understood the gravity of all the issues that our port addresses, which I think, as I heard at the beginning when I tuned in, you were talking about all the various things that make it hard to build a port here. And one thing that he did say was that he is, and the, the federal government is more likely to support projects that have local skin in the game. I think that's a direct quote. And so I think we have to be thinking about our part, what's our part, and that's where the tariff or surcharge conversation happens, as well as the state's part as we supply goods and services to 80 to 90 percent of the people of Alaska. And so I think that there was a signal there that as long as we're proceeding with our own skin in the game, they are ready and willing to have those conversations. And, and Chris, I want to stay with you for a moment. At, at a meeting in January of this year, Tote, one of the main shippers, sent a letter to Mayor Bronson saying that those company leaders felt the vote in favor of a revised design was an overbuild. They were criticizing, among other things, the plan for 100-gauge cranes that would add more than $200 million. What do you think of their critique as, an, uh, as the chair of the assembly? So I think that their critiques, we have to take it in, and really understand where they're coming from. I don't think that they were suggesting that the 100-gauge cranes create the $200 million increase. But I think that's so far in the details that it's not really germane to this chat. But I think what you're really tapping into there is vote raised concerns, which I share. And the final decision that we made that brought us to where we are now, where everyone's in agreement, provides a forked path for the Terminal 2 discussion, which is the terminal that vote operates out of. And the discussion, the forked discussion, the left fork is we build what everybody unanimously agreed upon at the at the uh, designer, excuse me, the users group. Um, and that is a medium project, not what was originally planned, which was a small, small-scale project, not what the right fork is, which is everything, kind of build the whole dock straight, flush face, and equal width all the way across. And so 
right there you are at the crux of the decision that's yet to be made is do we build to the level of the proposed port design that is coming forward or do we go backward toward the unanimously agreed upon medium scale project and we have authorized a program a design program that will um, give us 65 percent design for both concepts so at that point we are also at, we've asked the port to conduct a an economic analysis of growth we're going to cross-reference the growth projections with the use and the cost and then we'll be able to make the final decision that would answer the question that tote raised so that's that's the last piece i think in the program to be resolved all right i think we are going to take a quick break and when we come back i will ask steve to help us better understand what 100 gauge cranes are and why the port needs them as talk of alaska continues statewide Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. Quality child care creates futures for families, children, and the state's economy. When children are safe, engaged, and learning, parents can work and everyone has a better outcome. Thread has resources to support your family in their child care search. Knowing what to look for in a licensed facility is important for the safety of your children. Thread also offers parenting resources and support. To learn more about quality child care in Alaska, visit ThreadAlaska.org. This message sponsored by Thread. Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. We're discussing the modernization project underway at the Port of Alaska, which is located in Anchorage. You can join our conversation if you have questions or comments about this big project that's underway here. Statewide, the number is 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. 5508422 you can also email us talk at alaskapublic.org so steve as the port director explain what these 100 gauge cranes are and why uh, the port wants to put two of them in. Actually the port wants to put three of them in. Three of them in. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Let's uh you know gauge as we use the term is exactly the same as gauge as a railroad uses the term. It is the measure of width between, uh, for a railroad, the rails that the train rides on. Sure. Okay. Similarly, on a cargo dock that uses ship-to-shore cranes, the gauge is the distance between the rails that the cranes ride on to go up and down the dock. It is way more efficient to move cranes up and down a dock than it is to move a ship back and forth and back and forth to get it offloaded. Makes sense. So you leave the ship in one place and you move the cranes back and forth. And the gauge is uh, just the size of the crane. Uh, the gauge of the cranes on the current dock at the port is 38 gauge, which means there's 38 feet 
between the lakes. Doesn't sound like much. It doesn't sound like much. Third world countries have more modern cranes than we have here in Anchorage. Uh, 100 gauge is, if you, if you go to all, most ports around the world, uh, except the big ones in Asia and the big ones on the East Coast and the West Coast, the standard gauge is 100. Uh, other places, it's even larger. Uh, because, it, is that because vessels are that much bigger now? It's, it's because vessels are massively bigger than what they are now. Makes sense. Yeah. The challenge for us is to find the sweet spot in a crane based on the sweet spot in what we would ever see in a container ship that would come up here. So yeah, we've done all of that research, and uh, big advantages to 100-gauge cranes are there's a lot of them out there. So if something should happen to one of these, it's very easy to get a replacement. You go to some oddball size, and you're waiting for a remanufacture, which in, in, on average a crane takes about 18 months to build, just to build it. Then it's going to take a couple of months to get it here, and then you've got to install it, and you've got to certify it, and on and on and on. Sure. So um, you know, if you get something that is closer to the industry standard, your ability to respond to an issue that requires a replacement, or the addition of, should your business model grow and there be a requirement for more, it's easier to go out and get one more without a whole lot of, uh, you know, without a whole lot of waiting, and that that time is going to cost you money. Going back to you, uh, uh, Chair. Constant uh, is. Do you think that the tout letter aimed at what they're concerned about is more about future port user fees? How will the expense for shippers be affected by this modernization upgrade? Are you, as uh, the chair of the assembly, are you concerned about escalating costs that will be transferred to um, end consumers? Well, thanks. You know, the question is, am I concerned about cost in relationship to uh, the final design and how expansive we get with the project? And that's always been one of the primary concerns is how much is it going to cost and who's going to pay? And is it going to be needed? I think those three things, when answered together, give us the final decision-making information that we need to make the right call. And so... We continue to ask on a regular basis, you know, what is the impact of this decision on some pretty common goods, a loaf of bread, a gallon of milk on a sheet of plywood, and what impact does that have on the daily life of Alaskans? And so, um, you know, all of that has to be taken into consideration right next to the consideration of what happens if, we don't have a port and what's going to happen to our needs or if we don't build enough port to meet the future needs and have to build another port in 20 to 30 years because demand has exceeded, which, you know, that's a pretty wild kind of kind of thing to think about because we don't see that kind of growth, but one never knows. So what our job as appropriators and as the policy setting body of the municipality is to look at all of those factors and, that's why, again, we, we bifurcated the question of the final design because we want to know, is that extra $200 million cost going to be worth the money? How much is it going to cost Alaskans along the way? And, you know, if the port does half of what they did in securing funds for the petroleum and cement terminal, meaning I don't imagine we'll get 90% outside funding, but if we got 
60% or 50%, we're in great shape for the future. The costs spread out over 50 to 75 years are negligible. And so the answer is we're watching that very closely, and that's the crux of the decision before us pretty soon. Steve, turning back to you again, in, in 2011, the, the plan at that time was to add 135 acres yes, it was. of new land in Cook Inlet. You said that the current design is actually going to be an s- even smaller footprint than is is currently yeah. in use. So what happened to that 135 acres? <laughs> Did any of that get built, or is that just completely gone now, that plan? Well, a, a portion of that, about about. 55 or so of that was was built. It's what we call the North Extension. Uh, and uh, and the, you know when everything is said and done with the with this Marad lawsuit and the reason for it, uh, we will find ourselves having removed uh, a third to almost a half of that because of the poor construction and the uh, and the design calculations that were done wrong and on and on and on, which was all the crux of the lawsuit in the first place. So we have a project going on now, and you mentioned Secretary Buttigieg talked about the $68.7 million. That, that grant request was specifically to help us begin and end that project of reestablishing what the north end of the port will look like so that we can remove all of that bad construction and remove all of that bad material and reestablish a shoreline that is stable uh, and one that we won't have to worry about failing and causing a greater problem for the rest of the port. Right? Uh, but to add, you know, adding more real estate is not in the future. Uh, the focus of the modernization program, as I said, was not an expansion of, of operations. It was a modernizing of the severely corroded facility we have now that you have no choice but to replace, but replace it with something that meets the industry standards and is right-sized to the business case that we can defend. And that's what we're doing. Chairman Constant, I know that you have to leave uh, soon here. So my final question to you is that the work is uh, scheduled to be completed by 2030 or 2032. What is your level of faith and confidence that all this will come together and it will indeed happen? Well, you know, always you can't see the future, so that's a difficult question to answer. But with the work that's gone into the program, with the oversight that's happening, with the the opportunity for the users to have a voice in the process and, and help to make sure this is user-driven, um, and with the fact that we have a delegation that's committed to ensuring that we have funding available, and with the fact that the state thus far has done their part, and notwithstanding any major change that they might attempt to put on us that could change everything and put us all back to the beginning of a conversation, notwithstanding all that, I think we're in excellent shape to see the project completed in the time that we have and within the bounds of the resources we have available. So. After much, I think Steve used the term, uh, work on defending the design, um, the defense has been found to be pretty solid, and we're ready to proceed. And for the first time in 20 years, there's a unified vision for what's happening at the port. And as long as we stay with the unified vision, we're going to get there. All right. Well, thank you. I know you have to leave. Any other final thoughts before uh, we let you go today? Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks. You know, 
I think that the port did a great job. They've asked to permit the whole design at its highest level, but the, going from a, a larger design to a smaller design isn't going to create any hiccups in permitting because it will be permitted at a larger scale. We've had, again, a strong commitment by uh, our federal delegation, by our state delegation, and I'm just really glad to be able to be here finally after all these years talking about a unified vision. All right. Well, thank you so much to Christopher Constant, who is the current chair of the Anchorage Assembly, for joining us. And uh, he has to depart for other meetings. Steve, turning back to you, how dire are current conditions at the port? Are there areas that are especially vulnerable or at risk? Have cargo shippers expressed any concern about stability or weight limitations, especially during bad weather? Yes. Mm. And and here, yeah, let me be a little less flip <laughs> and a little more specific. Uh, the the whole point behind the the port modernization program uh, was was not about recovering from you know the failed steel and sheet pile out there at the north end. It was it was because of the very same fundamental reason that started what was called the intermodal expansion project you know twenty years ago was all about the condition of the facility has put it beyond repair. Uh, the amount of corrosion that is pervasive throughout the entire existing facility is, it's unhidden, it's, it's unimaginable, and when you, when you get down in there and you look at it, you know, it, it's, it's cause for pause. Uh, there's nothing you can do to stop it, retard it, or reverse it. And, uh, and we talked about those sleeves the steel sleeves that we've put on the piles. Uh, that has been a Band-Aid undertaking for the better part of uh, 12 or 13 years uh, in order to continue to sustain the operational loads on the existing facility uh, while we put in place the plan to replace the whole darn thing. It was always meant to be a Band-Aid. It's a one and done. You can't go back, take the now corroded sleeves off and put new sleeves on. There's really nothing underneath it to put a sleeve on anymore, Yikes. so that it is now what's supporting dock. So we're a little bit of a, it's a little bit of a race against the clock. Uh, the fact that we have gotten through the building of the petroleum cement terminal, and we've been successful in keeping this thing on on a pace since we started in earnest in about 2012, 2013, is huge, because now we have a fighting chance of no kidding beating the clock, and uh, we just have to stay on that pace and when the when the assembly put in place uh, our ability to to put a surcharge on the cost of goods to make up the difference between what the feds can give us what the state can give us and what we need uh, that will most definitely keep us on track now so I have to agree I am about as optimistic as uh, as Chris is with this thing being done in the time you know in the time we can get it done it's just uh, yeah it's just now that we're the show is on the road uh, we just have to stay stay disciplined enough to keep it moving. So because of the past design problems with the metal wrapping around the pilings not being as effective as what was hoped for, a lot of corrosion, sandblasting effect from the tide exchanges, what will the new design look like then if, if metal, yeah. if steel is problematic. Sure. Uh, well, let me, let me correct one thing that you that you sure. said, if it's okay. Yes. Uh, frankly, putting those sleeves on those piles did exactly what it was supposed to do. Okay. It allowed us to continue 
to you know, maintain the operating loads on the docks so that we wouldn't have to worry about having to downgrade the facility weight-wise to get anything I done. See. So it's so served. it wasn't a failure. Yeah. That wasn't a failure. No, it, it just wasn't yeah, sustainable yeah. for decades. No, it, 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 you know, those were going to corrode just like I the see. wharf piles uh, that were there in the first place are going to corrode. So what have we done to either minimize that or – well, you can't do anything to preclude it. You put steel in the water, steel in the water is going to rust. But I'll tell you what we have done with the petroleum cement terminal and the design, you know, those design aspects we're going to use going forward. Uh, two things, uh, thicker steel, well, actually three things, thicker steel. Uh, we're going to go to an inch and an inch and a half in those areas where the corrosion tends to be the greatest, okay. which is from the mud line to about 15 feet. That's the zone where most of the corrosion happens. So we're going to go thicker on the steel in those zones. When the original port was built, the, the, the steel in the piles was seven eighths of an inch thick. It wouldn't even half an inch, Yikes. and they were and they were hollow. So uh, so you know once you get a hole in that, it's corroding from the inside and the outside, and that's kind of what we're up against now. Uh, but the new ones will be thicker steel. We've also put a coating on the outside of them uh, that is alleged, and I guess we'll find out, it's, a, it's alleged to prevent uh, the corrosion that comes from the water from even getting to the steel for about 20 years. So that buys us 20 of what is gonna be the 70 year life of the facility. We've also put steel reinforcement inside the piling, which was ne not done in the past as well. So even as the steel corrodes, now when you get to that point in time, there is still structure there that can help support the facility. And the last thing we, we added, and we added better than was added the first time, was something called impressed current cathodic protection. You basically put an electric charge on the steel that is opposite of the electric charge you get from the ions in the water. Hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't stop the steel from corroding, but it r slows the pace of it down significantly. Now that was added to the original port dock. Fascinating. Yeah, it was added to the original port dock, but it was slapped on the outside. And the ice and the and everything over the course of the winters tore, tore most of it off and made it uh, unusable or, or ineffective. But now it's on the inside of the piles. So we'll, we're going to get a better, you know, a better result from it. All right. So interesting. Uh, we're talking about the modernization of the Port of Alaska here in Anchorage. Today on Talk of Alaska, we're going to take a quick break and we'll continue our discussion in just a moment. Talk of Alaska is brought to you in part by your local public radio station. What gives you strength? Strength comes from teaching the Alaskan way of life, getting wood, fishing, hunting, helping people in the community, and being an example for the next generation. If you have forgotten your strength, remember, there's hope, there's joy, there's love, there's peace everywhere. Share what gives you strength at recoveralaska.org slash share your strength. This message sponsored by Recover Alaska. Strong connections can help people thrive during tough times. Whether it's spending quality time with loved ones, finding peace in nature, or the unconditional love of furry companions, these connections help people stay present and have healthier relationships with ourselves and others. Share what makes you feel connected at chooseconnectionak.org. This message sponsored by the Alliance. 
Welcome back to Talk of Alaska. I have Steve Rebuffo in the studio with me. Steve is the port director for the Port of Alaska. You can join our conversation in our final 10 minutes here if you have a question or a comment about the modernization project that is underway for the Port of Alaska. Statewide, the number is 1-800-478-8255. That's 1-800-478-8255. If you're in Anchorage, the local number is 907-550-8422. You can also email us, talk at alaskapublic.org. While we were in the break, I asked you about what the actual pilings are made of, because when I think of pilings, I think of great big old hulking wooden structures, yeah. but that's not the case, right? No, the smelly creosote yeah. ones. Yeah, it's not no, that. no, that's, uh, you know, that really never was. Uh, if you if you go back and look at the historical pictures of that part of Cook Inlet, there were some docks down there that were made of wood. Okay. Right. Uh, but that all predated the 19, mid-1950s initiative that the municipality took on to, to build a port in Anchorage. Yeah, so it was never use that and put infrastructure behind it. No, it was build a real port. Now, interestingly enough, build a real port back in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s up until the early part of the 2000s, uh, there were no design standards for ports. Yeah. Yes. I, I, You know, that was such an interesting point that yeah. I heard you discuss in a previous yeah. interview. You know, people, you know, you know, people Just sort of... designed however you wanted? Well, you copied it off of successes. And, uh, and, and some of the basic, you know, some of the basic design structures uh, you borrowed from, from bridge construction. Mm. Because if you look at trestles and you look at, you look at wharves, it, it, it was pretty darn Handling similar. But, and... but, there was, but there was no effort uh, or, or not... Well, let me say it differently. I don't want to insult engineers. Is uh, there was there was no published standard for hmm. marine terminal construction, and uh, I think in the early part of 2000, and uh, I, I I know by the time I had got to the port, it was it, it was uh, darn near finished. Was an American Society of Civil Engineers design standard for ports only in yeah. the early 2000s? Yeah. Amazing, amazing. So anyway, so that's where we are now. So we have looked at that. And, and that is going to be the basis for everything we do going forward with respect to uh, terminal design. And then we have to throw in, you know, the, the seismic, you know, yeah. the ability to, you know, to, to come up with a seismic standard that is not incredibly expensive but sufficient for this environment up here because you can build something that will never fall. Uh, but do but you want to pay for that? Yeah. But do you want to pay for that? Trillions yeah. of dollars. Yeah. So piece. so all of that has to be has to be balanced. Yeah. But no, no wood. <laughs> all right. Well, good to clarify that because that, that's the image I have in my mind. And I'm glad to know that's not the case. So, Steve, you are a retired Air Force. I am. The Department of Defense created the National Port Readiness Network. The Alaska port is called a commercial strategic seaport. That's correct. One of 18. One of 18 in the country. country. Only 18. Sounds very critical to military readiness. How much does the DOD pony up to contribute to port work? Nothing. And and that's a you know that's a challenge with the program. And uh, and they're not picking on us up here in Anchorage. Uh, that is the case everywhere. You know, it's uh, you know. How do they get a? I mean, it, 
how does that work? That well, they it, need the port so so much, but don't contribute to it. Well, and that's and that's the question we continually ask, <laughs> you know, and uh, because we have this kind of mutual admiration society of eighteen commercial seaports that serve a purpose in support of the DoD, um, it's sort of the you know, one of the underlying themes, whether it's on the agenda or not, every year when we have our strategic port conference, uh, and uh, and we always talk about that. Uh, there have been a few breakthroughs, um, ad- admittedly. You know, DOD will be the first to tell you, and we've had many general officers come down and, and visit the port, and we say this to them all the time, and uh, and they look at the port and they appreciate how important it is to, in our case, U.S. Army Alaska and its mission that, uh, you know, they kind of wish that there was a way for them to to provide financial support for this. We will never fail to get a, uh, a letter of support when we're going out for grant, for all our grant applications signed by either a general officer or the Air Base Wing Commander who runs Joint Base Elmendorf-Richardson in support of all of our efforts, and they will acknowledge how important the port is. But putting in place a mechanism for DOD to take money out of their budget and give it to an entity that's not a DOD entity full-time all the time Mm. is... Is what's that's the nut that has to get cracked. Now, in the old days, there was a way to do it. Well, I, they called I, it earmarks. Yeah, I was just <laughs> going to say there was at one time some funding support from the Defense Department in the earmark era. That's right. When did that go away? And do you think, as there is more military concern for the Arctic and and what we're seeing tensions with Russia and uh, China wants to is has great interest in the resources in the Arctic. Sure. Do you think that the Department of Defense will come around and realize they need to help with funding, or do you see that Department of Defense funds will more likely go toward the port in Nome? Okay, boy, that's that's like a four-part question. Okay. <laughs> and we so only have me, a couple yeah, minutes. <laughs> let me give it, let me give it a go. Uh, I'm not concerned about funds going to the port in Nome and nobody else, you know, in Alaska or or anywhere else. Uh, earmarks went away. Uh, boy, I forget when. I think it was Congress who elected. It was time for them to stop. Uh, early part of the Obama administration, if memory serves, they became. They had such a dirty connotation associated with them that it was Congress cleaning up its act and uh, and policing its own behavior was the consequence of that. Uh, and th- there were, but there were some unintended con- unintended consequences of it, and uh, and we were one of the uh, victims, for lack of a better word, of that. For what I said way back in the beginning, you know. Some of those commercial strategic seaports are big ports, so they could care less. They've got enough revenue streams and enough business and a, and a, a robust enough local economy where it's a non-issue for them. But for those of us that require that kind of support, because the expectations are no different for us than they are for another, the Port of Tacoma is another commercial strategic seaport. You know, the expectations are no different. Um, but the challenges with keeping up the infrastructure to be able to continue to provide that are, you know, are vastly different. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, so that part of it 
was why, you know, for us, earmarks were not, you know, were not as bad a word as it would be in some other places. And we never squandered a penny we were given, which was also part of the criticism for stopping in the first place. But, uh, but I'm, you know, Nome is going to have a mission all its, all its own, and it's going to be for the Department of Defense more than it is for commercial purposes. Uh, no roads lead to Nome. Uh, so it's not like they're going to suddenly get so big they're a competitor for this for this sure, port or sure. any other port. That's not that's not the case. We lose no sleep over that. Uh, I also don't lose sleep over them getting dollars uh, that we you know, that should have come here. How unfair that was! You know, they, I, we're, we're not going to we're not going to play that game either. You know, I think as long as we continue with the discipline that we've put on ourselves to apply for as many federal grants as possible, make the strong case we have we have made for the importance of this port to the state of Alaska, to the Department of Defense, and to the people of Alaska, that will continue to be successful. Uh, the pot's not big, but we'll continue to be successful in getting our fair share of that over time. And in our final minute here, what is happening right now related to the modernization project, and what is on the docket for next summer's construction season? Sure. Well, we have two two major parts of uh, of what have to get done to move forward going going on right now construction wise. One of them I mentioned earlier, the North Extension stabilization, mm -hmm. uh, that is going to allow us to next summer finish that. We will have the shoreline stabilized before the end of this construction season so that next construction season we can start to remove all the unstable land water side of where the new shoreline will be. Uh, and that will allow us to open up access to the cargo docks and, and get the current flows better, uh, get some of the scouring effect out of the, uh, of the currents uh, against the current dock and in the area where the new dock face will go. Um, we have to open that up so that we can continue to safely dock the ships that come here now while we're starting the construction on the new part. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's, you know, so that's going to be two years of action-packed activity. We also have to get the port staff off the dock that is where we are now, because that's the first part that has to get demolished to begin the new cargo dock construction. So we'll be into uh, we'll be into our new facility hopefully next spring, and the wrecking ball can swing on the old stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much to my guest today, Steve Rebuffo, who is the port director for the Port of Alaska. We didn't have a chance to talk about the fact that there is a consideration for a, a name change possibly going back, and also in honor of the late Congressman Don Young. That will be voted on in December, I believe. I, so believe, we'll, I believe so. Well-deserved. We'll get an update then. Yeah. Uh, and thanks to our team here today, Chris Hyde, our engineer, our producer, Madeline Rose, and on the phones today, Tobin Shelby helped us out. I'm Lori Townsend. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. of Alaska is a production of Alaska Public Media, which is solely responsible for its content. Views expressed are those of the participants and not necessarily those of Alaska Public Media, this station, or its underwriters. Today's program is available online at alaskapublic.org. This is Alaska Public Media. Alaska Public Media.